The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We're going to talk all about the policy prescriptions of the Biden administration. We're not going to hear any more about Operation Warp Speed. They're going to be calling it the COVID response. We're talking right now about 2024 jockeying amongst Republicans. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. Who do you think Biden has to watch in terms of moderate defectors? Infrastructure has always been bipartisan. Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. We head to the White House where Jared Bernstein, member of the White House Council of Economic Advisors, joins us. Plus, all-star policy panels with me, Jeannie Sean Zeno, uh, for the hour. So we've got a lot to get through, and we talk infrastructure, and former New York Congressman Joe Crowley's with me. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. <clears throat> Excuse me. We begin tonight with the big story. Republicans may be ready to support limited infrastructure spending in President Joe Biden's spending proposal, which would require scaling back the two and a quarter trillion dollar plan by more than two thirds. Take a listen to what Senator Roger Wicker, a Republican from Mississippi, had to say on Meet the Press over the weekend. Here he is. Here's the sound on that. It's a huge tax increase for one thing, and it's a tax increase on small businesses on job creators in the United States of America. Then you've got Senator Roy Blunt, a Republican, he says, of Missouri, and he said on ABC's This Week that the president's package doesn't have enough funding for what's really needed and that it focuses entirely too much on building things like charging stations for electric vehicles. Take a listen to the sound on this. When people think about infrastructure, they're thinking about roads, bridges, ports, and airports. That's a very small part of what they're calling an infrastructure package. I've reached out to the White House a couple of times now uh, and said, you've got a, an easy bipartisan win here if you'll keep this package narrowly focused on infrastructure. Let's bring in the Bloomberg All-Star Policy Team, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano and Joe Crowley, former New York congressman and Democratic caucus chair. I mean, Jeannie, you just hear it right there that they want to oh, actually, Jeannie, hold that thought, because I just got word from our All-Star producers, executive produced by Christine Murata, that Jared Bernstein is ready. So let's go live to the White House, because Jared, of course, um, is a member of the White House Council of Economic Advisors. Jared, I'm thrilled to have you back on the show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Republicans are saying that this infrastructure bill is just too large and that they want a more targeted approach. Uh, we, we were playing some of the sound of what Republicans said on the Sunday shows, but what do you say to those Republicans who think that this is just too big? Well, I very much disagree, and I think the uh, probably the important place to look is America's ranking in infrastructure, particularly in the public goods, to make us internationally competitive. I think we should be first, uh, but we're somewhere between 13 and 17 on the global scale. China's well above us. 
And so if we want to compete globally, we simply have to stop disinvesting in our public goods. Uh, we also have to craft a tax code that stops incentivizing outsourcing and creates a race to the bottom. Uh, the American Jobs Plan uh, does both of those while creating millions of jobs in the process in areas that are essential for our competitiveness, including clean energy, manufacturing, infrastructure, and more. So that is a fundamental disagreement, I'd say. Is, I want to talk about taxes in, in just a second, but sticking with the targeted infrastructure approach, is the team going to try to do a piecemeal approach, or are you still working on a singular legislative vehicle? I think if you've listened to President Biden talk about this uh, ever since the campaign, when he talked about building back better, when he talked about the importance of not just getting to the other side of the crisis through a rescue plan that finally gets shots in arms and puts the virus behind us, but builds a resilient economy that's, that's, that's ready to, to launch a, a recovery that, that has some staying power, going small is not... Uh, Part of the uh, part of the plan here. Uh, now, to be clear, there are there are some, particularly from the progressive side, who have said uh, it's it's not big enough. So I understand people are going to come at it from all sides, but we think it's calibrated uh, to make the investments uh, that that are so important in all of these areas to re- to replace pipes with with lead in them, 100% replacement, half a million charging stations, standing up an accessible and affordable childcare sector, electric vehicles. I mean, this is there's really nothing piecemeal about this. But what I'm what I mean by piecemeal is, are, are you going to pass? Just are you going to try to have one singular legislative vehicle or a series of legislative bills? Because aspects of the proposal, Republicans are on board with. Well, you know, we have a legislative team who thinks about this. I come more from the economic perspective, yeah. so I think I think they're the ones to talk to about that. I mean, from my perspective, what what matters is is whether, whether it happens in you know one, two, three, or four parts. What matters is that we have uh, these kinds of investments in place again to make sure that the next recovery, when we're hit with you know 100 year storms that come every two years, or when we're hit with a pandemic, or when we're hit with uh, racial and economic inequality that we have the infrastructure and the policy architecture in place to deal with them in a way that uh, just heretofore hasn't occurred. Jared Bernstein's with us. He's a member of the White House Council of Economic Advisors. He, of course, is a longtime aide and and advisor to now President Joe Biden. Uh, Let's talk about taxes, because earlier today, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen outlined the case for a harmonized corporate tax rate across the world's major economies, part of an effort to restore global leadership and credibility with U.S. allies following the more unilateralist approach uh, for the Trump era. Are you confident that this can get done? Let's go global for a second, Jared. Yeah, I'm confident that this can get done. We have a team that's very invested in working with our partners to get there. And I really like uh, the things, I guess it wouldn't surprise you, that uh, that Secretary <laughs> Yellen was saying today, uh, particularly in this perspective of race to the bottom. You know, our trading partners, uh, whether we're talking about Europe or other places, they don't want to race to the bottom either. And one of the things that we're competing on these days globally is who can have the lowest tax rate with the most incentives to offshore abroad and to you know put your put your resources in tax havens, to book your, your income in low-tax country, your deductible expenses in high-tax country. That wastes all kinds of time and energy and productivity, not to mention it diminishes significantly the corporate tax base. And that's what's happened both in this country and many other countries. 
So we think holding hands on a global minimum tax is a winner, both uh, getting away from from this investing, get, getting away from putting all this energy in, into who can have the lowest tax rate, instead having who, who can have the most competitive economy. So Secretary Yellen's predecessor, now former Secretary uh, of Treasury, Stephen Mnuchin, he walked away from the talks with the OECD the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Uh, mm-hmm. But now she's restarting those talks. Meanwhile, did you see this? Laura Davidson reports on the Bloomberg Terminal. Three top Senate Democrats released a proposal to overhaul the U.S. international tax system that could shape the outcome of the global tax revamp that your team at the White House is pursuing to fund infrastructure spending. The new outline by Mark Warner, Ron Wyden, and Sherrod Brown calls for higher levies on offshore profits and stronger penalties for companies that move income outside the country to avoid paying taxes to the IRS. I, you know, I know you're you're working through various proposals, but do you like the general gist of what uh, your colleagues in the Senate are, are arguing for on, on the Democratic side? I think the general gist there is very much like our own. I think we're heading for the same place there, trying to stave off the global race to the bottom, trying to disincentivize mm-hmm. Uh, offshore investment and, and shipping jobs abroad. Um, one of the problems with the Trump tax cuts is uh, they uh, either intentionally or unintentionally uh, created quite strong incentives to invest abroad. Uh, you really want to earn your income pretty much anywhere except the United States under those rules. So rolling those kinds of uh, what I would think of as pretty perverse incentives from the from the perspective of not just American workers but American companies uh, is certainly a jointly held goal between us and the and the senators you just mentioned. You know, Jared Bernstein's with us, uh, a longtime advisor to President Biden, member of the Council of of uh, uh, Economic Advisors at the White House. Uh, Jared, I know that I'm a a Washington guy, and, and, and you're talking to, to the Wall Street Washington crowd. But now I want you to put on your – you're in your car on your way home from work, and you're talking to the swing voter, and they're going home, and they're hearing about taxes going up at the corporate level as well as for wealthy individuals, and they're curious. They don't have a necessarily political opinion on it, but they want to know if raising taxes on their employer means that their job's going to be on the line in a couple of months. What would you say to that person? Yeah, I think it's a great question, a very important question. Well, first of all, I'd say these tax increases don't hit anyone uh, below 400000 So they're very targeted at the top of the scale. And I would say to this person on their way home that not only are we uh, trying to uh, tax wealth, not work, we're trying to collect revenues in a way that this country has just neglected for years. So if they're on their way home, they're very possibly stuck in a traffic jam uh, because some, <laughs> some of these commute, some of some of our commutes are untenable because we have literally disinvested in our transportation systems. Whether we're talking about man, mass transit or highways, let me just give you one number for for our friend driving home. Uh, you know, in 2019, when the economy was really closing in on full capacity, we collected 16 percent of GDP. Historically, when unemployment was that low, we collected three percentage points more than that, 19 percent, over 600 billion in today's dollars. So I would tell that person, look, not only is this not going to hurt hurt you, it's going to help you. It's going to create millions of jobs because we're investing in private sector infrastructure, in uh, mass transit, in the things I mentioned before. Uh, but we're also doing so in a way 
that's highly progressive, designed to make corporations more competitive and the global race to the bottom and invest in America in a way that hasn't occurred for far too long. Jared Bernstein, we'll leave it there. When Secretary Buttigieg was on, he told me that he, he avoided the traffic jams by riding the bicycle. I told him, I get on the scooter. Jared Bernstein, maybe maybe that's the way to get rid of some of the traffic. What do I know? Jared Bernstein, longtime advisor to President Biden. Thank you so much, Jerry, for coming on. He, of course, is now a member of the Council of Economic Advisors. Coming up, the All-Star Policy Panel reacts. Joe Crowley. Jeannie Shanzano, I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, and this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio, accompanied by Bloomberg contributor Jeannie Shanzano and Joe Crowley, the former New York Congressman, of course, uh, Democratic Caucus Chairman as well. Jeannie, I'm sorry I had to cut you off earlier. First of all, I, I, so I, I would like to formally apologize, but Jared Bernstein just got on the line. <laughs> And I thought, all right, I guess I should, I should do this. And then he's talking about infrastructure and the roads. I almost had to get Ed Kalegi involved, Jeannie. <laughs> That's right. And of course, you know, I, I see you chose the White House over me. I'm very hurt, Kevin. Very hurt. Um, no, I thought it was. At the, I You're thought it, get me in trouble. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm kidding. I thought it was uh, really interesting to hear him talk, particularly about the global minimum tax. Um, this concept, you know, that they're pushing against this race to the bottom. I am, you know, really curious to see as we think about how they're going to pay for this bill, what the corporate minimum tax will look like in practice. I don't feel like I have a good sense of that yet. So I thought there was a lot there. And it was it was fascinating to hear him talk in support of what Yellen had to say today as well. But Jeannie, I, I, I don't mean to throw cold water on some of the optimism, but Repub it's an, I'm telling you, folks, it's a non-starter for Republicans. It, it is. I, and it's fascinating because we keep hearing that, you know, they are willing to go to a certain place on this, you know, maybe one, one and a half trillion dollars over 10 years. But they won't do it if you have to raise taxes to do it. And hence, that's the rub. And on the left side, you hear I hear rumblings about why not a carbon tax? Why not a gas tax? Uh, why is he holding this to yeah. 400,000 and above? So there, there's a lot to tease out there. It's 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 really fascinating, but I think taxes is without question one of the most polarizing and divisive issues uh, on this debate. Joe Crowley, come in here because you know we I, I, earlier we were talking to Jared Bernstein at the White House, and you know he seems really determined that this uh, this corporate tax rate uh, increase really could get some steam here. Do you think that it does? I mean, you know the Democratic Caucus better than anyone. Well, I think that this issue has been gnawing at Democrats for quite some time, uh, 
especially going back to 2017, uh, the way in which the tax, the Republican tax bill was passed in the first place, no input whatsoever. I, I do think that Democrats saw a path to 28 percent, roughly thereabouts, you know, for the market rate, 35 percent, but never anticipated going down to 21 percent. I think I, I think even Republicans were shocked by that. Um, you know, so I think 28 percent was always, you know, in terms of the I'm talking about I'm not talking about the the, the the tax, the global tax. I'm talking specifically about corporate taxes here in, in the States. When it comes to the global issue, you know, the offshoring of jobs, uh, the president spoke about that in his campaign. No one should be shocked um, that he wants to reward companies that create jobs in the United States and really punish some to some degree uh, co- companies that are willfully offshoring those jobs or investing overseas to the detriment of American workers. So I don't think it really should be that shocking to anyone, quite frankly. But Joe, let me let me ask a more targeted question. And, and, and I think it's a it's a nuanced one, but it's important. The organization is called the OECD. Folks, come up for air out of the alphabet soup. Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, OECD. So Mnuchin, his, uh, Yellen's predecessor, walked away from these talks. Why should the U.S. allies think that the next time a Republican administration comes in, whether it's in three and a half years or six and a half years or whatever, after a second Democratic administration, or even in 20 years, why should they assume that the that the Americans won't walk away, especially when both sides are so entrenched in a low tax and a polar opposite approach to taxes? Joe? I think, I think it is problematic for us. I do think that... You know, it's it's just it's all or nothing. Unfortunately, I think that that has you know been part of what has developed over the last few decades. Um, but we also know how difficult it is to undo some things once they're done. We saw the attempt by Republicans to undo the Affordable Care Act that failed. Um, I do think you know it's easier said than done in, in, in terms of being addressing some of the tax inequities that were passed in 2017. Um, albeit, I, I do think. Uh, that the American people, I think that's what the president is talking about, going to the American people, uh, appealing to Republicans, not necessarily in Washington, but around the country, uh, on, some of, uh, on, the, on some of the positions he's talking about. I think that's where in which he's looking for that bipartisanship. As it pertains to what's going to happen in D.C., you know, he still has the opportunity to use reconciliation if he doesn't have a hint of any bipartisanship uh, in terms of regular order. But it would certainly curtail and limit some of the social changes you'd like to see, given some of the rules uh, uh, in, in, term, in terms of reconciliation. Jeannie, I got to be candid. If there's one fight Republicans love to have, it's over taxes. And whether it's uh, over corporate tax rate or taxes for uh, anyone that isn't a millionaire, they love having this fight. Is this a trap for the Democrats? Well, they've got to be very concerned about it as we approach 2022. I mean, I know it seems like a long ways away. It is not. And this is something that Republicans are going to try to use. And of course, the party that is not in the White House has in the last several election cycles suffered when they come to these midterm elections. So Democrats have to be very, very careful about this. And of course, they are fighting on two fronts with this. They're fighting on the Republican front, but they're also fighting progressives and liberals in Congress and elsewhere who say this thing isn't big enough. And so they have to try to please both of those going to be very, very tough. And, uh, you know, I agree with Joe. They're even either. I think they're going to have to use reconciliation. If they can't, they're going to have to try to get some change to the filibuster. Otherwise, almost impossible to see how they get this thing through. I mean, it's it is remarkable, Joe, Jeannie, that either way you slice, dice and cut it up. 
we're still talking about like a trillion bucks that could be spent. It's a lot of money. I mean, I, I mean, I, 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 the era of DC not spending when Republicans can get on board for a trillion bucks, a trillion dollars. We're talking about massive chunk of change. As my father would say, it's a hefty chunk of change, Kev. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 11.30, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. Coming up, we talk more about infrastructure. We also talk U.S.-China relations. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Jeannie Shanzano is with me, Bloomberg Politics contributor, and Joe Crowley, former New York Congressman and Democratic Caucus Chair. Uh, I want to have a little fun just for a minute. Christine, our EP, don't get too worried. But uh, Jeannie, you and you know this about me. I'm a huge space nerd. And there is a story in the journal today. I don't know if you saw it. It says, U.S. News, tiny helicopter set for giant leap in the exploration of Mars. In a hard scrabble crater on Mars, a tiny helicopter with a smartphone brain is now days away from attempting the first powered flight on another world. NASA hopes that it's, I don't even know how to say that word, that it's robot copter named Ingenuity will prove that powered flight is possible in the perilously thin Martian air and help usher in a new era of planetary exploration in which drones play a vital role. I bring it up because in the context of infrastructure domestically in the United States, there's a lot of infrastructure going on in outer space. There is. And I, I thought you were going to talk about that Gonzaga shot at the, el- the end of the game, <laughs> Kevin. And here you go with ingenuity. Oh, Much I more know. important. That I was know. amazing. I but go Zags. Yeah. It, it's, it's so well named. And it's, it's fascinating because, you know, as you, I know we're going to talk about China later, but, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of work going on in, in the space arena in China as, as they really are competing with the United States and, and other nations around the world to own that space, for lack of a better term. So, so it's it's fascinating to see that the United States, you know, is is obviously in this competition, but it's going to take again a host of resources to keep us competitive with this. And so it, it's a really important story. Anybody up on Wall Street, uh, Joe, talking about Mars? You know, I wish they did more. Uh, they, they probably could accomplish more if they focused on the future and not just their own pocketbook. But I will say. Um, <laughs> Joe, you trying to go to Mars? Am I, am I am I sensing? I, uh, I, I will tell you, my wife Casey would love to be the first civilian <laughs> to go. She's always said that. But I will tell, she, I think she prefer me me, me being the first civilian to go. <laughs> but I will tell you, Kevin, one of my most disappointing Joe. days on the House floor on the House floor was when uh, then President Bush scratched out of one of his State of the Union the notion of going to Mars, and I, I really looked at it as disappointing as an American. Because it's not about going to Mars. You know, uh, I, I think we probably, probably can figure out how to safely get there. It's how do you get back? How do you get humankind back from Mars to, to, the, to the world? That's where the science is, is going to be incredibly important. But this is really neat to see uh, the first uh, non-manned flight 
in the outer world is just it's just marvelous and wonderful. Well, I mean, not I'm, I'm to, looking forward to I'm going to move on from this because I know we got other pressing issues, but I'm a huge history nerd. And, you know, when the colonists came over, they did it with a one-way ticket. They didn't do it to go back. Yeah. And so, there, I mean, humanity does have this streak in us where we often, uh, you know, get a one-way ticket. You got to take that leap of faith, as Nick Cirilli, my dad, always tells me. Jump and the well, net shall appear. That's why finding water on Mars is so important. Hydrogen yeah. as a possible fuel to get mankind back to to to, to the world. And, you know, I, I don't think we look at these su- as suicide missions, quite frankly. Even the even the moon there has to be some degree of success and the ability to get back. I think. Yeah. All right, For, I agree with Joe. I'm not going unless I can get back. That putting my foot down. <laughs> well. <laughs> To be the first human, I'd go. Who's listening? <laughs> I, you Elon, would. you out there? I'd go. <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk. Let's talk about uh, about COVID for a second because the U.S. is leading the world. I think this is one of the most underreported stories. Uh, our, our producer Matthew Shirley and I were talking about it in the prep work for the show. The U.S. is leading the world with a record pace of vaccination. I mean, that's a testament to America. And help is on the way to other countries in the global race to vaccinate, thanks to billions of dollars that have been provided by Congress and, of course, the advances of the scientific research. It's a it's a victory story for uh, both administrations. Well, uh, a Secretary of State, uh, Tony Blinken, was asked about this earlier today. Take a listen to the sound on this vaccine diplomacy. Here he is. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Looks like we don't have it, but he goes to say, uh, Jeannie, that uh, that really the U.S. is leading the way on this. We it, it is one of the you know I agree with you underreported stories. Um, you know we are so often, and I am guilty of this, are criticizing our government, but this has been a as you mentioned a bipartisan effort from the Trump administration to the Biden administration, but also a public private uh, relationship mm-hmm. that was established to get us to this point. And what Tony Blinken is talking about, I was very much in keeping with what the Biden administration hopes to do, which is they are all about relationships. They are all about working with our allies and reestablishing, quite frankly, relationships that they say in in many cases were hurt under the previous administration. They want to reassert those. And this vaccine diplomacy, as as you and Matt were talking about, is one way to do that. And it is something very important to do, particularly for parts of the globe that don't have the resources to get there on their own. Joe, just compare and contrast just quickly the U.S. rollout uh, versus the China vaccine diplomacy, which comes with strings attached? Well, I think, uh, first and foremost, I, I don't think anyone should be shocked that the United States, and that's a wonder in and of itself, that we're, we're not first in this, in this field. I mean, that would be, it would be shocking if we weren't, quite frankly. I agree. But I do think, well said. I do think there has been more of a tendency by the Chinese um, to, to, to take advantage of this from a diplomatic standpoint, soft power, even to the disadvantage of their own people, quite frankly. I don't think you know Joe Biden or Donald Trump are going to do that uh, in terms of the United States. But I do think, as Yellen has said, 
that we have to address the, 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 the poor of this world. And it's in our own interest to see that happen in terms of solving this pandemic and future pandemics as well. We can't be selfish about this because it's going to hurt us if we're not helping those poor countries. All right, coming up, we're going to talk much more about this with the All-Star Policy Panel. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. This is Bloomberg. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, uh, joined by Joe Crowley, former Democratic Congressman and Democratic Caucus Chair, as well as Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributor. We've got that Tony Blinken sot from the Secretary of State. Take a listen to what Secretary of State Tony Blinken had to say about the COVID vaccine rollout and the global global landscape. Here he is. President Biden set a goal of 100 million shots in 100 days. We hit that goal by day 58. Now we're racing toward our new goal of 200 million shots in 100 days. We cannot fully recover, much less build a better future the American people deserve until the pandemic is over. All right, so that's what's happening on the G. Meanwhile, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen outlined the case for a harmonized corporate tax rate across the world's major economies. This is part of an effort to restore global leadership, she says, and credibility with U.S. allies following the more unilateralist approach uh, of the Trump era. Take a listen to her sound on the on the global harmonization of tax rates when she spoke for, to, the, to the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. Here she is. President Biden's proposals announced last week call for bold domestic action, including to raise the U.S. minimum tax rate and renewed international engagement. We're working with G20 nations to agree to a global minimum corporate tax rate that can stop the race to the bottom. So they're talking about a race to the bottom in the midst of recovering from the global a pandemic genie, but I still, I still go back to the swing voter in the suburbs who is going to look at that and 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 really have to reconcile whether or not raising taxes is the best way to get the economy back on 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 a fair footing. I mean, is 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 the messaging botched on this rollout? I think it's 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 not an easy sell, but it, it, the Biden administration, this is one reason why, for instance, they're not taxing anybody who makes under $400,000 for that very reason. And again, I would just say there are a lot of questions about that because that means no carbon tax, no gas tax. So they are trying to hold the line on that, obviously, and they're focusing, obviously, on corporations. So they are going to increase or want to increase, if they can, the corporate, the, the corporate tax. And 
why is that? Of course, it's not only just to raise that money, but to avoid having to answer that question. So re Republicans are going to be arguing is this is going to lead to job losses on a very on the very bill that Joe Biden is saying is all about jobs. And that's what I think he's going to have to answer to. I would also say I do think he's doing a good idea of the a good job of consistently raising China. The competition with China means this is something we must do or we will fall behind or further behind than we already are. That's been his mantra. And I think that is something that most Americans can understand. Joe, I mean, come in here because there's a story on the Bloomberg Terminal. Richest New Yorkers face tax hike under a proposed budget deal. Wealthiest New York City residents to see highest combined U.S. tax rate. My colleagues report the richest New York City residents could soon face the highest combined state and city tax rates in the United States. Governor Cuomo and state lawmakers have reached a tentative agreement to raise taxes on the wealthiest New Yorkers as part of a roughly $200 billion budget deal expected to be announced as early uh, as today. I mean, I mentioned that because, meanwhile, you've got New Yorkers who are getting uh, faced with, with a new budget deal juxtaposed with the conversation happening in Washington, D.C. What are your friends, Joe, going to say? Well, also with the damage that was done to New York in terms of the SALT provisions, the uh, uh, inability yeah. to deduct the state and local taxes. But I, I would uh, just go back to the point um, about those who would say that it's job loss when you uh, ask corporations to pay their fair share. Think about all the jobs that were created by the infusion of this infrastructure bill. And I think that really does outweigh, you know, some of the, you know, some of the naysayers we'll hear from the, from the right and from, from the Republican side. I think that what the president is, 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 is uh, proposing is transformative and will have an impact on our country, not just for now, but for the future. And these, these issues need to be addressed, especially when we're talking about being competitive with China and other adversaries I don't mean militarily. I'm talking about economically. We need to invest in infrastructure. I think we have to but find see, a way to do that. That that's such a great point. We're having this IB chat right now, and and I said it. It, it sounds like restructuring. You just said it sounds transformative. Jeannie goes. I agree. I I hear you. But what do you say, Jeannie, to the person who says, "Why are they Why are they transforming the global economy? Why are they restructuring the global economy? Why aren't they worrying about the Main Street restaurant or?" The getting kids back into schools. And, and that's, I think, it almost seems too, dare I say, academic, Jeannie, Professor Zeno, and, and less rooted in the problem of what the American family is dealing with. And, and maybe it's well-intentioned, but, but I don't, I mean, do, do you kind of get what I'm, what I'm getting at? I do. It's a difficult sell, but I think, again, this is why Biden is talking about this most often as a jobs bill, not an infrastructure yeah, bill. Yeah, it's smart. I it, thought, it yeah, them going to Pittsburgh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, nobody speaks to, you know, people on, uh, you know, on Main Street better than Joe Biden, but this is, to your point, a real test. And again, I would just go back to China. They want to make the case that we will not have the jobs that we have. We are not going to be able to sustain at the, the way the economy we have if we don't start investing in research and development and infrastructure broadly defined. And that is something it's, you know, I think he's going to have to keep talking about. But I think many people do understand that even Republicans want to invest in infrastructure. It's a question of how much and how to pay for it and how do you define it? I mean, go to Youngstown, Ohio. Well, they got the Lordsville plant, I, I believe, it, the GM plant yep, that had yep. that had shut down. I mean, and Tim Ryan's country, Congressman Tim Ryan's mm -hmm. country, and I bring that up because Joe, 
to Jeannie's point, Professor Zeno's point, I, do people care if they're if they're manufacturing a car or they're manufacturing a semiconductor chip? A job's a job. A good paying job's a good paying job. I think a job is a job, and if you can bring that transformation to Youngstown to the Lordsville plant, you have to though. Right, and I think you can. I think that I think that is that's more than possible. It's doable, but I think you're right. And as I mentioned, I, I, it's about the jobs that will be created by this investment. And by the way, Kevin. He's not neglecting getting kids back to school. He's not neglecting any of the other issues you talked about. We just passed you know, a, a almost $2 trillion package to deal with some of these most impressive, uh, pressing issues right now. But this is about getting America back up on its feet, getting it you know, to where we were in the 60s, in the 70s again, the 80s, where we could be more proud about our country. Uh, the, the level of infrastructure decline is enormous, and it's just not 10 bridges. Uh, it's about being prepared for the next pandemic. It's about ensuring that our schools are, are up to stand and apart, that, that health care is delivered in a more equitable way as well. I think those are all important. They're all job creators as well. Oh, yeah. I'm not trying to cherry pick by, uh, by any mean. I mean, I hear, I hear both of your points. I think, I think it, you know, it, in interviewing uh, Commerce Secretary Raimondo last week and Jared today, I thought Secretary Raimondo really did uh, talk about the need for retraining and reentry into the workforce for that mm-hmm. transformational shift. I think, Joe, I mean, I've, in having interviewed you for months now, I mean, you always talk about, you know, if, if someone's going to, if, if, if the global economy is shifting, you've got to take care of the people who are hustlers, who work hard, who've got the grit and determination to make sure that they can reenter into the workforce. I think when Secretary Yellen talks about a race to the bottom, you know, does she necessarily connect it back to Youngstown, Ohio for what that race to the bottom means? I don't know. I heard it from Secretary Raimondo. I haven't heard it from Yellen. Take a listen to the sound on this from Jen Psaki. Here she is. Some Republicans who have been vocal think investing in water systems and replacing pipes so Americans can have clean drinking water uh, is not infrastructure, but the president does. Some don't think investing in high-speed rail is infrastructure. The president does. Some believe building charging stations to support America's electric vehicle future is not infrastructure. He believes it is. Then she went on to talk about the need to raise taxes against corporations. Here she is on that. He knows that some will come forward with different ways to pay for this package, and some may have views that it shouldn't be paid for at all. So we fully expect that from Senator Manchin and other members, and we expect uh, the question of how to pay for the package, if we should pay for the package, to be part of the discussion moving forward. And we actually, she, she went on to talk about the, the view for corporations and how she believes that corporations can play more. Um, I believe we have that soundbite. Take a listen. Here she is. Oh, we don't have that one. But she, but she says it in plain terms, Jeannie, that she believes corporations should play more. And, and, and there, you know, there's truth to this. And I think Joe mentioned this or you mentioned this earlier in the show. Um, when in 2017, most corporations were not even expecting to get it down to the tax down to 21 percent. Um, some even expressed some surprise at that. So they've, you know, sort of split it at 28 percent. Um, so, uh, you know, I do think that that's not, um, you know, uh, uh, doesn't even bring us back near the 35 percent that it was. So not that the Republicans are going to to support that. 
But I do think the big question here has to do with how they sell this, not just to Republicans, but to Democrats. So, Joe, as a Democrat, I would love to ask you, we hear, obviously, Manchin and Warner balking at, you know, some of what is being proposed here in terms of these taxes. <clears throat> how do you think that the administration gets them on their side and keeps them there? Quickly. Well, I, th I think eventually they will have to get to that point uh, to be supportive of this package. It, as I said before, it's transformative. But let's also keep in mind that it's not just the American people who will benefit by this. American corporations will benefit by an increase, decrease in investment in our infrastructure. And I, th I think that's a sorely myth. Yeah. All right. My thanks to Joe. My thanks to Jeannie. I'm Kevin Cerulli. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.